Welcome to Making It Happen. My name is Tom Dalton. Each episode will bring you an inspiring person to help you improve in all areas of your life. We'll be chatting with friends old and new who have incredible stories and experiences to share. We'll be listening to some of their obstacles and how they've shown resilience to overcome them. Each episode should give you value and influence and inspire you to your greatness. Hey everybody, welcome to Making It Happen, episode number five. Um, I'm delighted to say I'm joined by the wonderful Moira Trassa Nikalik. Have I got the pronunciation right? How's my Well, I'm just wondering who are the other four people before me before you rang me as number five. Okay, absolutely. Well, your five's going to be at the top, don't worry. Kunasatatu. That's all I've got. I'm dyslexic, so I didn't do Irish. There's Irish speaking dyslexics as well. You do know that. I do, I know. I am using that as an excuse. Um... So just for the listeners, if they don't know your voice by already, I'm sure they've seen you on television and all great radio stations. Um, sports psychologist, radio television uh, television presenter, RTE, TG Car, News Talk Off The Ball, Air Sport. You work, you have your own business where you are a performance psychologist, sports psychologist, working with teams, companies and individuals. And I love the quote, actually, I really liked it. I wrote it down, uh, make good people better. And that's a long introduction. That's one of the longest ones I've done so far. Um, with all of our guests, Moira, I love to go back to the start. And I suppose before psychology and college and stuff like that, you did journalism before that or did mm-hmm. did you fall into it or was that one of your passions? Um, I kind of fell into it. Yeah, it's, it's a bit of an odd one. I did my degree in Galway, my original undergrad. I did an NUI Galway. I did Irish and psychology. And I was growing up in Connemara in a little village called Nkiarua back in the day. And just over the road at the time, Team the G's, it was called then, was opening up and it looked really fun and really glamorous. And they were all off shooting documentaries. The likes of Hector, they were going all over the world. The news people were going all over the world. I'm thinking, geez, I'd like to try a bit of that. So there was a higher diploma in applied communications in NUIG at the time. So I applied for that and I got into that course and as part of that course it was a media course so you were doing everything from radio to television to just you know yourself these media courses they're all great in theory but you really don't know anything until you go outside and hit the ground running so with that in my back pocket I had a month's work experience and that ended up in Radio on the Gelsachte and I kind of just never left RNG then I kind of got that job for the summer and I was given kind of work filling in for people while they were on holidays and that kind of thing and I think my first job was reading uh, national and international news headlines and then it was local news and it was death notices. All Asquelga. All Asquelga. Okay. Yeah, but that's my first language. Yeah, so yeah. at that time, I'd say if you'd given me a job in Goy Bay FM, I would have found it more stressful because even now I'm thinking in Irish and speaking in English and that's really, really hard. So like late at night, for example, when I get tired, I forget my words and I end up playing like, you know, charades. If I'm talking to somebody, you know, the thing, the thing, that kind of thing, the words, I lose them. So it was all Asquelga and... Um, did that for two years in and out the door and revolving kind of temporary contracts. And then I somehow, there was a job going in TG Cahar in the newsroom. They're looking for a news coordinator. So I applied for that and I got that. And then I ended up in TG Cahar and that opened up a whole new door because then that was television. So I was doing news uh, coordination. I did directing for a while. I became a video journalist. So that meant I was shooting all my own stuff. And then I was doing some sports casting, some news casting. I really love sport. And then I was working began working with RTE then as well on weekends so that was a time when Jim Fahey the former western editor in RTE he was based in Galway and if he had time off and if a story happened 
I'd get to cover it then for RTE as well. So I'd be double jobbing, but it gave me great experience, you know, broadcasting in English, all that kind of stuff yeah. that I hadn't done before. So I had to get used to that. Um, probably one of the scariest places to get used to doing is your first news report going in on the 6-1. You know, it's probably, you know, it's a steep learning curve. But then I um, got myself moved to Dublin eventually. So I was working out of RTE. I spent a while being GA reporter under the great Marty Morrissey. Uh, that was colourful <laughs> and uh, stayed there for a while and uh, just I just had a niche to do something else so uh, my undergrad was psychology I wanted to add a bit to that so a few years ago I went back to UL and did a master's part-time over a period of over a year uh, to get my sports psychology qualification got myself accredited there but there was still something else I didn't know what it was so and I was kind of I'd find myself going through college prospectuses going to open evenings going to talks and lots of things I loved, but there was something not quite missing. And eventually it hit on me. I remember having a thought like when I was 15 about doing medicine and putting it out of my head again because I just thought it wasn't for me for whatever reason. And then I said, do you know what? I'm going to give it a whirl. So I sat an exam. I didn't expect to get in. I got in. I'd, but I've, I'd left RTE, so I'd taken a bit of a gamble. But my theory was I was setting up my own business either way. Either way, RTE was not going to be for me. So I once I decided that, it was moving on. And somehow I got in. And uh, I'm still there. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, so you flew through that. Um, what was it like when you went from TG Car and you were going then onto the TV? Was there a fear or was that a simple transition for you? Or were you just ready for that jump? Um, it was a simple enough transition, I think, because when you went from R and the G to TG Car, it was kind of, you were broadcasting to similar audiences. It was for Irish speakers. So, but we were doing it with telly. And because I'd done that higher diploma in applied communications, that had already taught me the basics of television editing. So it wasn't scary. Literally, all I had to do was go in there and do a little quick crash course. And then you're learning as you go. And maybe a bit of youth as well. I think when you're young, you, don't, you hold no fear. And I think the older you get, the harder it is to make those leaps. And at that stage, I'd done every job there was in Orange G, and I really enjoyed it, but there was no permanent job there. There was a permanent job in TG Cahar and... I was so lucky to get it. That was the end of 2007 and we all know what happened in 2008. So I was very, very lucky to have gotten in and got myself a nice permanent RTE contract when the rest of the country began to fall down. So yeah, luck, a little bit of luck. And then I got in there and then because of the way the country was going, there wasn't really no movement in media. You were very lucky if you had a job and what you had, you held on and you guarded it. So you worked really hard at it. So did a few years of that. And I think when you're doing video journalism as well, it's a really good learning curve because you learn not to come back with stuff that you can't use. And I think sometimes when you're working with the cameraman or whatever, you mightn't appreciate how hard they work. And then you realize you're going out and shooting your story. If you come back missing shots, you nobody got to blame but yourself. And so I learned very quickly how to be efficient, how to get people moving the way I needed them to move for pictures to be, which I think is really good. So it kind of taught me a bit of assertiveness that way. But I had to learn the hard way, definitely. But once you could do that job, I found, for me anyway, if you could do a video journalism day out, if you could go out, shoot your stuff, source your material, get your interviews, come back, spend the next day editing it or whatever, get it out to air, no job in media has ever been as hard. So I think that's that was a secret for me. That forced me totally out of my comfort zone, but I did it as my first step rather than getting comfy and then trying it. You know, some people can't teach an old dog new tricks. I think that's probably true a lot of the time. And I'm sure a lot of people just see maybe that 30 seconds on camera of you interviewing a person. But what you said there, it's it's all the work that's gone up to that point. Mm. Um, you mentioned earlier, we are talking earlier, you, you're this week even, you're traveling all around the country. Did it Was it a smooth transition into sport or did it, is that where your passion was? My passion definitely was there. 
took a while to convince my bosses they should let me do it. Um, I had to canvas a bit. I had to say, please, please, and one of the lads are off. Please let me do it. I had to really beg for it. Not in the Gina. And is that a old school mentality or is that just... Do you know, I don't even say it was old school mentality. I just think they never thought about it. Okay. And then you had to convince them to think about it. But, you know, that, I think that's how it was. And then once I kind of got in, I, I'm not saying I was great at it, but I was able to do it. And once you showed you could do it, it was fine. But it just took a while to convince them that I could. Now, maybe that was my own fault. Maybe they thought I was still green behind the ears. I don't know. But once I got in then, that was my passion. I loved it. And I loved the fact that you could talk to people and it wasn't always bad news. And maybe that was to do with the time as well. You know, around that time, 07, 08, 09, 2010, everyone, rightfully so, were in the doldrums. And sometimes you could just talk about hurling or football or rugby and it made people happy and people were happy to talk to you. That was the other thing. In real news, oftentimes I don't want to talk to you. Um, I use the word real news, even though sports news can also be quite real at times. But um, that was where my passion was. I loved it. You know, though sometimes when you're doing an exam or you're studying or you have to do something you don't particularly want to do, it's a slog. Whereas for me, I love a space doing sports research. Like to me, it's reading up. I, like I just devour it. So it never really felt like work. I mean, when I say it didn't feel like work, People, like you said, they see the glamorous side. They see you showing up. They say, oh, I heard you on the radio, but they haven't thought I was in the car for four hours to get there. I was up really early that morning to do my research or I went to bed late the night before or I slept in a horrible hotel somewhere in the middle of nowhere to get to this place or I stood in the rain for three hours so you could see this match. They don't see that. Um, and while so it can look very glamorous, it's probably one of the hardest gigs I've done, really, out of all my life. And I see friends of mine who had, who had complete sense and they became teachers and accountants and stuff like that and they have holidays and weekends off and good money <laughs> stuff yeah, like that yeah. and you find yourself thinking geez was it for this sometimes you know but that's why i think it's a bit of a vocation you have to love it a bit like the priesthood yeah um <laughs> i was we've worked together uh, previously which has been fantastic and it's been great to see you in action and how you work i was doing a gig recently with um both of us now personally neve briggs mm. and she was talking about women in sport and she actually made a very good point um to the audience she said it should just all be seen as sport yeah. it shouldn't be men and women in sport have you seen a change over the years or dealing with male and female in sport or has anything changed at all yes and no um not enough change nowhere near it's still very much women's sport except for one or two things like athletics or basketball where they always had the men and women on the same the same day, the same meet. In that case, it's all equal. But unfortunately, there are still minority sports in Ireland. So they still don't get their coverage, be you male or female. Um, women in, The women's sport thing does annoy me. It's like, you know, all oh, the girls are playing. We're only going to send someone there if there's no other sport happening that day. It's getting a lot better. It's nowhere near where it needs to be yet. Um, like, for example, we'll have great coverage of the ladies' football finals, but we won't hear much about them between now and then. Um for lots of different reasons. Part of it is media don't have the resources. That's a big issue. Sometimes as well because the women's sporting organisations are relying on their male counterparts for things like playing fields, running tracks, whatever it is, whatever facilities they use, they can't really advertise themselves properly in advance because you don't know where they're going to play. And uh, I think if you're always going to get second billing, you're never going to get your kind of your fair share of the pie. It'll change. It is changing. Not quick enough. I think it won't have changed if we had children. It won't have changed for them. But maybe our grandchildren, they might see a bit of equality. I think things like the Women's World Cup made a big difference. It's an awful shame Ireland didn't qualify. Yeah, It would have helped a lot. 
but I think the Dublin ladies football team doing so well is great for it as was Cork but Dublin even more so because Dublin has got such a population base that that helps filter it through and then for, for the first time ever I think girls are growing up now seeing that they can play sport when I was growing up all we had is Sonia Sullivan and she's great but the vast majority of us were never going to go running for Ireland whereas we didn't have we didn't have football teams they exist now so I think we're getting there but we're a long way off yet yeah um, no it, it's it's very interesting on that so when when was the point where you're like I want to start my own business you're in RTE was there always a passion I love my sports psychology I can help other people individuals teams where did that come from that was definitely part of it but I also had this desire to be more in control of me I I got to the point where and it suits a lot of people that they like being on a roster they like knowing when they're working they like clocking in clocking out and they like going and doing their job well and going home for me I hated that I was missing out on things because I had to work on that Thursday or I'm rostered on this day or I'm stuck here till seven o'clock or I have to be there and sometimes when you're an employee it's just the way it is you got to suck it up you got to do things you're not that keen on and sometimes when you're self-employed too because you got to pay the bills but it's nice at the moment that I can pick and choose the jobs I do, so therefore I'm only doing stuff I'm actually interested in. I can get a call and I can say, mm, no thank you, I'm not available, or no thank you, that doesn't float my boat, but I know somebody who'd really love it and I can put them in touch with these people. And I think that's a good way as well that you can network and there's people out there who know this is more her bag, I'll pass it on to her and she'll throw me something again as well. Um, for me definitely I wanted to build something for me. I think it's a lot easier to get up in the morning at half four when you're working for you and not for the man if that makes sense. It suits some people. It got to the point where it didn't suit me. And plus as well, I knew I wanted my own business. I wanted to be in charge of my own destiny. But I also knew I wanted to go back to college and study. So at least then by working out on my own, I can choose my own hours. It just was not going to work trying to study and trying to work dance with somebody else's tune. It just wasn't going to work. And I've loved the freedom of it. I was afraid. I was petrified. And you jump off and you leave off and people tell you, you know, you'll be grand, you'll get work. But you're afraid, you don't know. But literally... I walked out of the gate of RTE, I sat that exam the following week and two weeks after that I was working for Air Sport and then I began, I did a few days with Sky Sports, then I began working with Off The Ball, then work began rolling in from TG Cahar, then I began working with Air, it got to the point where I had to turn work down, I was doing Irish language columns I love, I do two of them a week and that keeps my toe as Gaelga which I love as well and uh, yeah it got to the point where I was turning work away which is great, it's a great complaint to have but it's terrifying. And that's it. It was okay for me to do it. I didn't have dependents. I didn't have a mortgage. So often people say, you know, just make the leap. That is ridiculous. You cannot make the leap without a plan or at the very least half a plan. And I knew I had a skill that I could sell. That's not the case for everyone. And I also knew I wasn't going to lose my house. Worst case scenario, I couldn't pay my rent and I moved back onto my parents' couch for a while. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And that certainly makes it easier. 100%. I think there's, there's super value in what you just said there. You've, you've touched on uh, Osquelga and it's obviously a huge part of your life growing up in it. I, when I did my TED talk, I've, I saw a very good uh, Gwailgor talking on it's a new thing he set up where people meet up in pubs around the world. Oh, the pop-up Gwailtocht. The pop-up Gwailtocht. Yeah. And it was an education to me that this was going on. Where are we at today with Irish in the country of Ireland? It depends where you are. Okay. Where do you mean? Just like, is it growing? Is it dying off? Is there a passion again for it? Is there a ignite again for it? Is it, it popular? It depends where you are. Um, For example, the Gael the reason the Irish language is in crisis is that the population in Gaeltacht areas is declining. So use me as an example. I've left home. My sister doesn't live at home. Only my brother is at home. So 
to kind of, if, if you want to get work, you kind of have to leave these areas. There are isolated spots on the western seaboard where have, they've been neglected out of all facets of life, but especially when it comes to the Irish language. So, for example, if I wanted to work from home, the broadband wouldn't be strong enough. That's just one example. In 2019, that's crazy. Yeah, isn't it? exactly. Really? So this is the trouble. They keep talking about, oh, we want to keep people at home. You know, we don't want people commuting. We have all these people coming into the eastern seaboard. Nobody can afford a house in Dublin. On the other hand, I know loads of people who would love to live at home because the childhood I had growing up was idyllic. I mean, I grew up at six beaches. Wow. You know, we, it was just beautiful. It was just such a healthy, six beaches. yeah, healthy, safe wow. way to grow up. And we had a city on our doorstep, and. It was really, really vibrant because people would come every summer learning Irish. A lot of artists would come in, you know, so it wasn't like one of those little kind of pokey little villages, you know, the Valley of the Squinting Windows where everybody knew each other's business. It was still very cosmopolitan, very eclectic because we had lots of different nationalities, people coming in all the time. So it was a great place to grow up in, but I can't live there at the moment because of what, I, what I'm doing. So I'm just one example. So the trouble with that is, as people like me leave, there aren't enough people to replace us. So as you can see what's going to happen, the natural well of the Irish language is drying out. On the other hand, in the urban areas of Ireland, the Galways, Dublin's, Corks, uh, the amount of Irish speakers is rapidly increasing um, to the point where you couldn't speak Irish in Dublin city centre anymore and hope that nobody understood you. And many a time I'd be walking up and down Grafton Street and I hear people having the chats and there's a whole new Dublin dialect now, like dub wow. speaking Irish. The way, you know, you're speaking Dublin with an Irish with a Dublin, Irish with a Dublin accent, mm. should I say. And um, so that's great. But unfortunately, if I was to give it one negative and people say, oh, she would say that, it's that when you don't have the well, it's like when I use the example when Polish people come to Ireland and they learn to speak English and they speak it fluently. But it's not natural fluency, if you know what I mean. And that's what happens. We've got all these people with, you know, very good, even excellent Irish, but it's not the level we have. And with every generation, that level of Irish language proficiency is decreasing. Like my granny had words I've never heard of. Like, for example, I've been working on a documentary for T.G. Carha, which we're going out in the autumn, and it involved going back to uh, manuscripts in my old primary school from 1938. And there were words I had never heard of that kids were just using back in the day. And they're already gone out of our dictionary. So you'd be afraid for what's going to happen in 50 years time. And there's been loads of scary studies, like unless something drastic is done soon, it'll stop being the majority language in the Gaeltacht area. So it'll still be a living language. It'll still be a spoken language. And if anything, more people in the country will be able to speak it. But the well is running dry. And that's scary. And that's a government thing. That's something way beyond my control or your control. And that's all rural areas. Like all rural areas in the Western seaboard are dying. Like GA clubs have to amalgamate. We're all leaving. You can't get out of the place. You can't get into the place. You can't get broadband. You can't get jobs. The streets, the villages are dying. You can't get planning permission if you do want to go home. Like it's a disaster. And then we're all living in boxes here in Dublin and we all want to go home. It's mad. Um, very honest there. And you can you can see the passion you have for the language there, which is, it's, it's really refreshing to see. Um, when you work um, with performance mt what how has that transition been have you enjoyed that like yes. working with teams or individuals what's that experience been like it's been eye-opening um it's it's hard work but it's really really enjoyable because there's nothing better than working along with somebody to try and create something and just help people find their buttons to push them along a lot of the time people have the answers themselves they just need somebody to help them find them you know so when you work with teams it's great you're kind of creating what what are we trying to build here? What are the goals? When you're working with individuals, 
it could be something as simple as just giving them a little bit of a confidence boost. Sometimes I might do one session with somebody and I never see them again. And that's great because that's what it should be. You should be giving them the tools to fly off. Sometimes people need a series of coaching classes. Just it's all tailored to the individual. And that's the lovely thing about it. It's it's so individualized that you get to have a think, you meet somebody, you have a chat, you see what they want. And then you work away from there and you create a plan for them. And it's all so different and varied. And But the ultimate thing is all the same. The reward is they're happy leaving you. Or sometimes you meet them and you know you're not going to gel or you're not going to give them what they want. And that's okay too. But you can say, I think you'd be better off working with this individual or that company. I think you're better off or I think what you might need is something else completely. Um, but it was scary because you have to start off afresh. You have to hope that the phone rings. You have to shill for business. And then I have to be careful as well. Like I make sure if I'm doing psychology work with any kind of team or sporting organization that there's no conflict of interest that I wouldn't be working with you doing psychology and then next week interviewing you in Crow Park. That's not fair. So in one sense, it's a big juggling act for me and I've knocked myself out of some psychology work at times, but I'd rather do that than compromise them or myself or my own integrity. Um, but yeah, and like funnily enough, I do a lot of corporate work, which I wasn't expecting to do. Um, a lot of corporate companies love the whole idea of somebody who knows a bit about sport and athleticism, but also has a bit of media savvy, so you can kind of teach them a little bit about that as well. Um, it's challenging I'm not probably not doing as much of it as I'd like I'm planning now over the summertime to do a lot more when I have some time off but obviously when I was studying over the winter months and there's only so much I could take on but again what a great complaint to have and the beauty of that little website as well is that I let, I'm able to write up my own little blog posts and post them up and put my own little spin on things and people actually find that helpful so I can tell people I you're kind of worried about this go look at that and then they go in they read that and that can kind of help just flow the idea sometimes probably putting myself out of business sometimes all you got to do is read up a little article you don't need to talk to anyone and off you go and use it you know um not to get too deep now but when you're working with teams or individuals would it normally be a mental block maybe holding them back from achieving something or stopping them from getting towards the goal they'd like to achieve for some people yes for other people no for other people sometimes and this might sound silly sometimes i know very many sports psychologists and me included when you go in and talk to somebody you realize all they need is somebody to organize their life their life can be a bit chaotic and they just need to sit with you for a few sessions and you actually just help them structure their diary because some people can have a block against that or they think they can fit in so much more in a day or they can't get started at the right time of the day or whatever sometimes it can be as simple as that sometimes it can be a fear of failure it can be a fear of knockbacks. It can be not going through that mental barrier, pushing yourself physically, for example. It can be, for women, a lot of the time, it can be a lack of assertiveness. For men, and I know this is a bit stereotypical, but sometimes in a lot of cases of men, they're overconfident. They expect things to arrive without the same amount of work needed. Uh, whereas women in general don't have that attitude. Uh, so say about that what you will, is that patriarchy? I don't know. Whereas women, you have to tell them, you nearly have to tell them, you're great, you're overqualified, go for it. With men, you have to say, slow down a bit, come back a few steps, and then leap off the podium, if that makes sense. Um, and then with teams, it's different again, because you're trying to find the team dynamic. And you need to find out what the team goal is. And a lot of the time when you're working with a team, they all think they know the team goal until they start talking to each other and then they're all working toward different goals or toward they think the target is different. And that can take a few few sessions to nail down. But once you do, you're flying, but you have to find it. And then the trouble is when people say teams don't gel, I think a lot of the time that's the problem. They don't know what they're working toward. They don't know what they stand for. They don't know who they are. And is that just down to communication or 
communication, a lack of time together, like say for example, if you're an international team for argument's sake and you didn't have enough time together because quite simply your organisation didn't have enough funding to bring you guys together often enough. Um, it can't be down to communication, which could be an issue with boys. Men often won't be talking out loud. Um, it can be down to group dynamics. You know, you can have groups, you know, cliques. Sometimes you have to break down those walls. It could be something as simple as, you know, a few few team members retire and one or two new people come in. New manager. All these things, even when they're all good people, they're still creating different dynamics. And sometimes people don't like change. We really don't like change. Our minds are very lazy. So if you make your brain work, your brain's like, ah, no, just hold back, just hold back. And you have to force your brain brain to think about it. Um, I read an article um, in the Irish Examiner about social media and what you've dealt with. I, If you don't mind, I'd love you to touch on what you've seen through your journey of journalism and how social media has grown and the positive negatives about it. Okay, well, the positive is very, very simple. You get to reach more people. That's a huge positive. And I have made great connections, great contacts, great friends via social media. And it can be really helpful, like super helpful. I don't think we can ever put a value on how helpful social media is, especially when you're not RTE. Like it was okay for RTE. They were in every living room and every radio in the country. But for other smaller organizations, independent people, without social media, you wouldn't be here today. You know, that kind of thing. So there's an, a massive value toward that. I mean, the big negative is, is that it gives everyone an opinion and it gives bots an opinion and trolls an opinion. But those opinions were always there, but just, you probably didn't hear them. They just sat around the TV swearing at you instead, but you never heard it. Whereas now they can actively send you a message and say, I saw you, you are whatever. Um, in general, like, it doesn't bother me. Somebody tells me that was a silly question. What an awful interview. And sometimes they're right. Like sometimes they are awful interviews. But I remember doing one interview with one um, one individual and I got a few people saying they were really, that was a really bad interview. So I just sent back, really, what would you ask instead? Nice and polite. And then they sent back, oh, I'm not really sure. And I said, well, if you note, it kind of was like bouncing a schlitter off a haystack. This man just was bored being interviewed. I don't blame him. He was probably there all day. But sometimes the rapport has to come both ways. And they're like, oh yeah, I never thought of it like that. Sometimes, some people are genuinely, they just don't think before they say things online, they are never going to say to your face. Um, or like there was another day I had an appearance on Ireland AM and I was told, no, maybe I did, maybe I did monopolise it myself and another guy were on. But he said, you know, she's desperate looking for attention. And I sent back, I got up at half four this morning and did this before I went and did my, my day in college. But sure, if you want to abuse me, that's fine. I hope you have a good day at work as well. And he's like, oh, I didn't actually think you'd read this. And I was like, but you tagged me in it. Wow. But the big difference is, I generally... I didn't think you'd actually read this. Yeah. There's a people just don't There's think no about filter it. anymore, is there? No. But you know the way sometimes you might be out in a pub and you might think your man is a complete jack, but you're not going to say it to his face, but you might say it to your mate. But sometimes people seem to think they can say it on social media. Now, again, I genuinely don't mind if people say it. that was awful. That's fine. You can't please all of the people all the time. But the difference between men and women is men are just told it's awful. Women, we are pulled apart for our appearance as well or they're talking about they're saying things they would like to do to you like I've had many a time and off the ball I've had to get YouTube comments disabled underneath videos we've done because they're just stuff you would not want your mother to read about you um, or yourself they're not that pleasant for you to read about yourself either but in general I say that is very 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 much in the minority it's vastly positive but that's the big difference I think again as we get used to social media this will change but we're not used to it yet as a race, I think. So new. It's so new. We're not sure. 
And I don't think people are aware of the impact of their words. And you often see grown adults, I see them every weekend, not just, not so much at me. In fairness, I don't get much at all. But you see it being directed at players, at managers, at journalists, at broadcasters. And you're thinking like, you probably have children and you're telling them don't bully kids in school. And you're going out and you're bullying people yourself. Like, for example, last weekend, I was working down at Galway against Mayo and Galway were knocked out of the championship. And I'm not saying Galway play pretty football and I'm sure there are a lot of questions to be asked. But I don't think that's the place to be personally insulting managers and players because people say ignore it. But would you tell would you tell anyone ignore a bully at school or in the workplace? No. And if we don't push back against these people, it's going to become accepted as a norm and things should not be allowed to be a cesspit. You should call out bad behaviour. Um, I just get to the point like where I, I just... I don't even mute them because that would give people satisfaction. I just don't reply. You know, like I said, bounce the shit off a haystack. Be that haystack. You can't bounce it back against you. Um, but yeah, the, the added layer that women have to deal with is they're either talking you down over what you look like or they're saying sexually derogatory stuff about you. But that comes back again to society. And often I do wonder what kind of rearing had these people had, you know, and um, that will change, but not yet. And do you see you're around the country and you're with a lot of different people do you see the comments affect these people yes it does it affects some people more than others and you could argue well you need to learn to grow thick skin absolutely we all need to learn that in life we need to create create our little onion layers i like to call it you know you'd be like an onion and with every experience you'd be adding a new layer of skin to yourself you know but at the same time onions can be cut with knives and you know that thing you were told in the playground sticks and stones well words can hurt and they really hurt because and it's been proven there's plenty of psychological research out there like you can be told six good things but the one bad thing sticks with you all day and people can be very generous with their time and very kind with their time and I actually like women especially will come up to me at games with their little girls and they ask for photos with the kids and that's lovely it's amazing and it's a really nice feeling and I'm kind of half embarrassed thinking sure what have I done you know and you're there posing with the child and you're like where's Marty Morrissey he's a real celebrity but they're probably looking up to you though they are that's they it. are it's not probably they are looking up to you that's you know? it like and you're thinking like all that aside you could go home and you might get something mean and that's what'll keep you up at night and I try very hard to not allow it because I've learned a lot of the time, like that gentleman who said, I didn't actually think you'd read it. Sometimes they genuinely don't think. But sometimes you're trying to explain to people, and I've said this a few times, there's not many jobs out there where if you have a crap day, you just go home. Most normal people, if you have a bad day in the office where you make a mistake or your manager yells at you, you go home, you pour yourself a cup of tea or a glass of wine or you go out for a run and you recalibrate and tomorrow's a new day. In media, you don't have that luxury or politics or whatever. You're it's just recorded. yelled at. It's on the radio. And people it's are saying, there's that Egypt. She made an awful mistake or, you know, or she said something stupid. Or they said that was really dumb. And they're constantly, the stones keep throwing. Referees. I mean, they get dogs abuse. And what are they? They're human beings who without them, we wouldn't even have games. And they're doing it with virtually no assistance. We need to learn rugby. Yeah. It, that needs to come across. I think the discipline there is... Yeah, like the abuse referees get on the field, from the sideline, and not even mind inter-county, like junior referees, refereeing under 10s games, they're getting awful abuse from parents. And again, it comes back to, they're the same parents who tell their kids, don't be mean to each other, be nice to so-and-so in the class. But they genuinely, I don't know what it is, we lose our reason once we go inside a football ground or a hurling ground or any kind of soccer ground. I don't know why. Um, so it's something we have to look at ourselves at. You know, we say a lot about the youth of today, but monkey see, monkey do. 
they're following the example they've seen. I mean, how often have you been to a GAA pitch or a football pitch or any kind of pitch and you've seen adults abusing children? It happens. And they see nothing wrong with it. They, they just disconnect it. It's weird. I don't understand it. And I'm constantly trying to explain this to people. But like, the same thing as the job. I have a crap day at the office. I'm going to have loads of people telling me I had a crap day. If you're a footballer or a hurler, you have the same. I don't care how resilient you are. That eats in. And I'm thinking the vast majority of people who send those messages, I really don't think they'd send them if they knew the effect it was having on people. But they just don't think. Same as the ones who are shouting on the sideline at the 10-year-old who missed a ball. I um, I have one of my favourite quotes and you just remind me of it there. It's by Kanye West, which a lot of people might be surprised by, but he has a quote that says, I don't give a fuck what people think because people don't think. So true. And it actually sticks with me all the time, and it's just like, it, no one's opinion matters, really. You know, you've no. just got to continue on what you're doing. Um, what is it like, Moira, dealing with... We're in 2019 now, and you're dealing with coaches that are professionals pretty much they are they're paid professionals they're trained now they're PR trained mm. do you find it challenging or hard when you're trying to really get down to the nooks and crannies of a good answer or get in and is that challenging oh it's such hard work it is such hard work um some of them play ball some of them you know it's nearly like a boxing match you're trying to find a place to not say land a punch but find an opening you're trying to find something are you just trying to find honesty? Yes. You're not looking for... But I don't know. I can't speak for all reporters or broadcasters. For me, I'm never looking for something controversial. I'm just looking, like you said, for honesty. Your honest opinion. Why did that happen? How did that happen? And when you get it, it's amazing. You get a great reaction from people who've heard it or watched it. The manager goes up in people's esteem as well. Like, I remember doing an interview with um, John Shukru of the Leash football team a few months ago. They'd lost... They were already promoted, but they lost a game to Westmeath. And he came in in Crow Park and he was raging at his team at how they performed. They performed very poorly. They were very flat. Um, now, obviously, I'm not involved in them any way, shape or form. I don't know. Was that partly his fault? Was it partly the team's fault? Was it Westmeath who had them so, had their numbers so figured out they couldn't perform? Or did they have a flat day? But he came in and he was enraged and he let it go hammer and tongs about his team and how he was so angry about how they performed. And I was like, am I hearing this? Because he kept going and going and going and going. He was just so angry. And it was explosive stuff. But it was honest. And people loved it. You know. And I think other sports in particular. I think the GAA has gone very closeted in. Because there's still this belief that. Oh if Tom Dalton says something. They're going to hang it up in a dressing room. And use it as motivation. And I'm banging my head off a wall saying. There is not one iota of psychological research out there. That proves that if you hang up something. The other team said about you. That you will perform better. If anything you'll perform worse. And you're trying to explain this to people, but they don't listen. So when you get the bit of honesty, it's great. And then, but a lot of time you don't. And what can you do? You can only go so far. You can only ask the questions. Sometimes you ask questions they don't like being asked. Um, I think maybe for me, because I came from a background of news and current affairs, I've no problem asking hard questions. I've no problem asking the questions people want to hear about at home. Managers mightn't always like that. So I've had a few robust exchanges but my theory is I'm meant to do a job they're doing their job they wouldn't respect me if I didn't do it 100% I wouldn't respect them if they didn't do it 100% and if you're polite and courteous and say hello and thank you and goodbye and shake hands it should be left there and in general it is um, it's Does just sport do, do any people show avoidance? one or two times yeah but in fairness when it has happened I have spoken to them and I say look this is how it is and I think sometimes 
and I'm how do I put this I don't want to sound like I'm in any way generalizing but sometimes sports journalism at times can be a lot of fans in watching a game and they'd never think to ask a question not all of them nowhere near all of them they could be one or two so if a manager gets used to that and all of a sudden somebody says well no hang on a minute you said this last week and then this happened and now you're saying this they're not used to that and they don't like it and all of a sudden they think oh I don't want to talk to that person she puts me on the spot but I think in general they might realize then well actually I'm getting good publicity from this because I'm getting to put my actual opinion out there and then being challenged you know and then it just tends to work in general I like to think I like to think they like me I like them there's not one person out there that I'd say I just don't like dealing with him or her I like people um, and I like people challenging me like I kind of enjoy a bit of a row with the manager every once in a while <laughs> yeah. you know like if you ask a question they say well why are you asking me that what did you notice I'm like well nobody cares what I think they really don't they care what Brian Cody thinks they care what Jim Gavin thinks nobody gives a flying what I think but they want me to try and find out for them and is it is the role of a reporter journalist to draw to publicise the sport or the activity or whoever you're interviewing isn't it no. it's not no. It's not our job to give them publicity. We're not Goebbels. Like, we're not North Korea. It's our job to go and to find out the truth. Um, because what happens then, if you're just being that fan who's going out saying, you know, isn't this great? Are you really doing your listeners or your viewers justice? I don't think you are. Sometimes things are amazing. Like, for example, last Sunday down in Port Leash on Sunday, uh, Leash knocked uh, Dublin out of the hurling championship. Nobody saw this coming in a million years. Sometimes, those days, they are soft soap interviews because all you can go is go, oh my God, that was amazing. How did you pull it off? And let them go and just let the joy carry it. Sometimes, though, teams may put in a bad performance and my theory is, we'll use Dublin as an example. If they capitulate and collapse in their next game, I think it's my job to ask Jim Gavin why. Not just say, oh, you had a bad day in the office, Jim. Because there's over a million people living in this county. There's a lot of people who spent a lot of money following this team. There's a lot of, you know, volunteers, coaches. And if something like that happens, and they feel a connection with the team. And sometimes they just want to hear, and I'm just using Jim Gavin as an example here because we're talking about Dublin. They just want to hear him say, yeah, I made the wrong call or so-and-so is injured or I don't know what happened. We're going to have to look over it. And I think the fans respect that. And I think they like hearing that. But I think, in fairness, the real fans will accept that everyone can have a bad day at the office, even Dublin. <laughs> um, so what's next for yourself? Is the studies going to be a big priority? Is there going to be a PhD? Is oh, there no, be... PhD. Jeepers, no, my God. Where let, do you see? Let, oh. me, let me get this, uh, this medical degree first. So I have three years of that left. Um, I'm working part-time around the study. So trying to balance that, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, sometimes I drop all the balls, sometimes I keep them all juggling very nicely in the air. So there's three years left of that and then I become an intern. Wow. Which is scary as hell. And full time into that? Full time into that for at least a year, yeah. And then you get to go off then and apply for a scheme or go down the road you think you might like to go down. Um, yeah, so that's going to be a challenging year. Like we've, we've already done some placements, like I was in, based in Beaumont for the month of June. And I learned more in that month than I did in the whole year in college. Wow. A bit like way back when, when I did that course in media and then did a month work experience in RNG. You cannot beat doing it. You just learn so much. I had a little notebook. I was going around every day. I'd hear words. I didn't know what they meant. And they'd say, and you know what streptokinase is? I'm like, yes. And I take it down and I go home and <laughs> frantically Google. I'm like, ah. <laughs> yeah. And you learn that kind of stuff. So, um, so I did that. 
and the target over the summer is I have a little book called the top 100 drugs not as exciting as it sounds but I love pulling it out in petrol stations and freaking people out think if they think I'm reading about cocaine and heroin but it's not as a top 100 drugs used in hospitals and I'm using that over the summer to try and learn a little bit because that's my weak point because the pronunciation of them like they're hard to say and I find if I don't know how to say it I ain't going to learn it. So that's my plan over the summer to try and learn them. So at the very least, I might I might only be the second stupidest person once we go back to college in September. <laughs> and Moira, if you're um, if there's anyone listening that you're going to give a little bit of advice to follow any sort of industry, or whether it's media or whether it's um, to be a doctor or medicine, what would advice would you give them? I would say, first of all, we put far too much pressure on kids at 17 to choose what it is they want to be when they grow up. And a lot of people still have the mentality, you graduate as an accountant, that's it, you're an accountant for life. We're living longer now, we can have different careers. And I think what you need to be focusing on is learning skills. You need to learn how to be dependable, you need to learn how to work hard, you need to learn how to communicate, you need to learn how to work with others. That doesn't necessarily, you can learn that doing any kind of degree, any kind of work experience. And the big takeaway I'd say is, is that like, you can't love work every day but if you don't like it every day you've got a problem and you need to figure out why and I'm always telling people when they come to me and they say I'm stuck in a bit of a rut evaluate why you're doing what you're doing know your why like if you're not feeling some kind of internal motivation to go to work if your only motivation is the wages you're going to be miserable and I always say life is very short unless you're in a job you don't like and then life gets very long so you need to be able to wake up in the morning and go, oh, I have this, this and this to do today. You're not going to love it every day. But jeepers, if it's every day you have that Glen Row feeling going into work, there's something gone wrong. And that comes back to sometimes it's because that's the degree you have. Sometimes it's because it's the business your parents wanted you to go into. Sometimes it's because you happen to be good at maths in schools. So everybody told you you should be an actuary where really you want to be an artist. So fuel it, but be sensible about it. Don't be that idiot who just quits. Make a plan. Um, that's the other thing. You often, I've had a few phone calls from potential clients who've rang me and said, oh, I quit my job yesterday. I need to figure out where I'm going in life. And I'm thinking, what? You just quit it without a plan. And then you're trying to be calm because you're freaking out and you're trying to tell them, right, let's make a plan. It's okay. Let's not panic. I hope you've got money in the bank. And um, plan. Like I was, I did that master's degree in UL in 2015. I didn't leave RTE till 2018. I didn't start my medical degree until 2018, but all this was germinating for three years. I'm not saying that's the right way to go about it, but from what I can see, if you at least got half a plan. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. Absolutely. Like, so if you shoot for the stars, you might get to the moon. But if you don't know where you're aiming for, where are you going to end up? You just don't know. And I just don't think you'll ever achieve your potential. But always, always, always go back to ask yourself, why am I doing this? And if it's only just to pay the bills, and sometimes you have to do that to survive, and we've all been that soldier, but if it's just to get that money in and you're getting no enjoyment and no satisfaction and no opportunity to progress, I think sometimes I always say companies, it's not, companies don't lose people. Managers lose people. If you don't have a manager who's going to push you and challenge you and help you progress and get joy out of that, if you've any kind of ambition in yourself, that's going to kill your self-esteem eventually. It's going to kill the love you have for the job. And that might make you think you hate the industry you're in, but you don't. You might just have to move, you know. So I always say go back to that. Know what motivates you. Know your why. And once you know that, you're more than halfway there. Know your why. There's a huge value on that. It's it's, it's brilliant there. Um, I'm conscious of time. So we normally um, finish off the podcast with a quick fire round. Oh, God. And <laughs> so you're on the spot now. Pressure's on. Um, Favourite movie or film? 
you wouldn't laugh. I am so Don't busy. Don't say Dirty Dancing. Well, I do love Dirty Dancing. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I actually watched it last week. But I'm so busy. I haven't been to the cinema in years because I can't. It's an awful habit of mine. I have to get better at it. I can't sit still for that period of time. So if we were to go with that, the last film I saw in the cinema was last summer. I went once to see Mamma Mia 2. Okay. <laughs> so I am just, I have no taste when it comes to films. And is there, you're reading, what book you are, are you reading at the moment or would you recommend a book to anyone? Um, I think a great book to read at the moment. I just finished it last week. I bought it before Christmas. Didn't get a chance to read it. Corus Daunton's autobiography. It's amazing. It's really inspiring. Be you male, female. It just shows what you can do with a good mindset. It's a great book. It's a great read and it's easy to read. Brilliant. Um, Favourite place in Dublin for a pint? Ooh, coppers. Coppers. <laughs> <laughs> there, that's the goal. I, woman coming see, I didn't even have to think. <laughs> I love it. Just rolled off the top. Or at the Boar's Head in Capel Street beforehand. So that's the way to go. Go to the Boar's Head, visit Hugh in Capel Street and then go to Coppers. And when you're not having alcoholic beverages, is there anywhere you'd go for a coffee or a bit of lunch that you'd recommend? Ooh, lots of different places. It depends on the mood I'm in. I do like Union Cafe up in Mount Marion for a nice quiet lunch. I love going down Ranella. I enjoy, I love going to Dillinger's. Nice, they have a lovely great Sunday spot. brunch. They have a great Bloody Mary if you want that too. <laughs> um, there's a lovely tapas place in Ranella as well, La Bodega. That's lovely. Um, yeah, I eat out a lot evidently. <laughs> I don't have a particular favourite. Peplos. I love Peplos in Haven't town for a yet. treat. If you're fancy a treat, you want to have a gossip with people or whatever, and you want to be well fed and not rushed and well looked after in a place that's fancy but not pretentious, okay. Peplos is great. Very specific. Um, and last but not least, where can people find you? How can we keep in contact? Uh, you can find me on my website, performancemt.ie. You can bang me an email there, or you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as well. I'm always there. Or you'll find me at your nearest GA ground getting abused by a manager. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, I'll leave it at that. Maura, um, it's been an absolute pleasure having you. Um, super key takeaways from that. And thank you so much for being on. Thanks for having me. Gourmet Lamad.